Hi everybody, this is Matt Kirby and welcome to a brand new episode of Groupie and Harmony, the podcast all about music. Uh, today, uh, there's a major topic that I want to get to, um, and that is since it's February 28th, um, I'm finally getting to my um, my Black History Month uh, episode. So, um, I'm just going to dive right into things and do my uh, typical shameless plug. I have a Facebook page. It's called Groupie and Harmony. Make sure you give that a like because you can... Uh, because I post whenever I release a new episode whenever or whenever I have any updates about the podcast. I also post on there whenever I have any updates about my blog, Feeling Groupy. Uh, my most recent post came uh, on February 26th in wake of uh, Daft Punk announcing that they were breaking up. I ranked the uh, Daft Punk's four studio albums in... Uh, and then I also included honorable mentions for a couple of their other albums. I also have another blog that you should check out, which is a basketball blog. It's called Is Baller Trademark Yet? Um, this blog is all about the NBA. I had a few posts uh, in the last week. Um, so I had a post that was discussing, uh, or had one that was my predictions for the All-Star game. Ultimately, one that was about the all-star uh, one that when they announced the all-stars i had post for that uh that one also um um then i also had another post that um was related to uh where demarcus cousins might sign um and uh i also had a bonus in that one which was uh discussing uh um Minnesota firing Ryan Saunders I also had just in general how I think that one's just been a total disaster uh, the men uh, the Timberwolves are just turning into a total disaster right now um, I'm gonna have a post also in the next couple hopefully in the next 48 hours or so um, related to at this point it's gonna be called who the hell is buying and selling because trade trade deadline is a month away and we're at a weird case where I, it could go either way with who's buying and who's selling. Um, and then for the music blog, I have potential, uh, and the next week I'll have at, hope I'll have at least one new post in the next week. Um, whether it's a fictional festival lineup or whether it's an actual new post, I'm not sure yet. That'll depend on how swamped I get with work, but I'll keep you guys posted on that. So, for my Black History Month special. So, the reason that I'm recording this late on the 28th and why it might be released on the 1st, even though Black History Month is February, was because yesterday as I was um, working on uh, who I want to talk about, and of course I went totally overboard with it, I realized that I totally forgot that there were tw only 28 days in February. So that was an oh crap kind of moment. So I rushed around a bunch and uh, got it got it done. Um, ultimately it's a lot of artists that I want to discuss. So um, because of that I'm not going to go in depth about each artist. 
Um, if there's any artists that you hear about and you think that maybe you want to learn more about, by all means, I recommend doing that. If I talked more about each artist, this would probably be like a five-hour podcast. So, um, I really don't want to do that mainly because I do want to get some sleep tonight. So, um, basically, I've divided them up by genres, which is a little bit difficult because, uh, they, um, really, a lot of artists tend to cross into different genres. So, um, as such, it's a little bit tougher to, uh, It's a little bit tougher to uh, necessarily pinpoint them. I did my best there. Um, also, one thing that I did want to mention is that I, for this one, I tried not to do a ton of artists that were incredibly well-known. A couple reasons for that. Um, first off, I wanted to bring light to some artists who aren't necessarily as well known um when you typically i've seen with these kind of kind of things you see like if it's a jazz post you see all sorts of things about louis armstrong and miles davis for instance well both of them are amazing i wanted to focus on some other ones that don't get necessarily get the same kind of attention um there are some big names that i am going to discuss because i couldn't resist like, for instance, you may or may not hear me talk about Sam Cooke because I love Sam Cooke. Um, but that said, like, for instance, I'm not going to do, like, the Black History Month special about, for instance, like, Whitney Houston because I want to focus on artists that, while she is amazing, I want to focus on artists that maybe necessarily aren't as popular or well-known uh, among the general public. And um, some and another thing that I wanted to mention is that um, I didn't discuss any artists that um, I've talked about in depth in the podcast for the most part. There's a couple that might have snuck in if I discussed the protest music series. Um, and also, I'm not discussing any artists who are, excuse me, who are, um, who are going to be not, who are nominated for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Main reason for that is because I'm going to be doing a lot with that in the, in the coming months. So, I, so without further ado, let's get started. So again, I, broke them out into different genres. So first off, I had non-performers because there are a bunch of uh, songwriter, producers, or even and even a businessman in there who are who either were or are are either have passed and were black or are still living and are black. Um, then I'm gonna go on to blues, then jazz, then traditional pop because I kind of want to start it off with the pre. Uh, with the ones that were uh, especially big pre-rock and then gospel kind of bridging the gap there and then R&B and soul 
then reggae and ska and calypso, um, funk, disco, electronic, uh, one spoken, one that tough to necessarily pinpoint, but I grouped him with as spoken word before going into hip hop and rap and then finishing off with rock. Um, so we'll get started. So the first one I want to mention is, oh, actually, before I do get started, actually, um, it, apologies if you hear me typing in the background. There's a lot of artists on there, so I want to make sure that uh, I that I um, am dis- discussing things and not forgetting anything that I wanted to discuss on there. So, um, let's get into it now. So, the first one I want to discuss is um, Barry Gordy Jr. So, um, he was, um, so he was a producer, songwriter, and what he's best known for, though, was being the founder of Motown. And, um, that one in uh, Motown in particular, um, was essential for, um, and really where, um, or it was essential for, um, African Americans in music, um, and was really important in, um, racial integration in popular music, um, because it was an African American, uh, African American man who owned a label, the label, and founded the label that wound up having massive commercial success. And in particular, they had, um, just in the 60s alone, had 79 uh, top 10 hits in the U.S. Um, It 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 was massive the artists that they like basically if it was like name a black artist and they were there so like you had um uh, Marvin Gaye Stevie um um Steve Wonder a little bit um the Supremes and Diana Ross, um, the Four Tops, the Jackson Five, um, the Temptations, and all of these were like ones that um, Gordy had, or ones that Gordy had owned, and um, then he also helped, uh, and like a bunch of others, he also um wrote or co-wrote a bunch of songs um in addition to uh he wrote like I Want You Back by Jackson 5 and also ABC by Jackson 5 um Lonely Teardrops by Jackie Wilson Shop Around by The Miracles Do You Love Me by The Contours um bunch of others um next one I want to mention is uh the songwriting and production trio of Holland, Dozier, and Holland which was made up of Lamont Dozier and Brian and Eddie Holland. So, um, they were a songwriting and production trio 
for Motown. Um, a bunch of their hits were, um, well, they wrote a bunch of songs for, in particular, The Four Tops and The Supremes. Um, they, and they wrote 10 of The Supremes' number one hits. Um, they're th- probably the three most popular ones were Baby Love, Stop in the Name of Love, and You Keep Me Hanging On, but they, they wrote a bunch of other songs too. Um, next one is, uh, Gamble and Huff. So, um, they were songwriting production team. They were essential in, uh, developing Philadelphia Soul. Um, and, uh, they wrote a bunch of songs for various artists. Bunch for, uh, um, for Harold Melvin and the Blue Tones, the OJs, um, some for Dusty Springfield, uh, some for Wilson Pickett, um, some for the Tramps, um, bunch of other, bunch of other artists, um, they, yeah, they were excellent writers and especially producers. Um, next up is David Porter. So, David Porter, um, well, he also was a singer. Um, he, and in particular, Isaac Hayes, co-wrote a bunch of massive songs. Um, but total, he, he probably has, I think, so he has over 1,700 song writing, uh, credits. Which is absolutely bonkers. Um, and uh, in so his probably most known song is Soul Man by Sam and Dave. Um, he also wrote the another Sam and Dave song, Hold On, I'm Coming. Um, song's been sampled by several artists. Um, and basically it's to the point where like, for them, it was like they, they, he has composers, so many, he's written songs for so many artists that it's like, name, it feels like it's like, name is an artist, and he's written something for them. Um, the next one I want to mention is, uh, he is a musician, but, um, as is the duo after that him but he's probably more known for his songwriting um so uh so Alan Toussaint um he has been described in his obituary he was described as uh one of popular music's great backroom figures. Um, so, he, um, first off, he was a producer for, um, Right Place, Wrong Time by Dr. John and for, uh, Lady, Lady Marmalade by LaBelle. Um, 
He had several hits, including Whip Cream, Java, Get Out of My Life, Woman, Working the Coal Mine. I like, I like it like that. Um, not the, not to get mixed up by the Cardi B song. Um, Fortune Teller. Um, Here Come the Girls. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Can sev several others, and all these songs have ended up being uh, decent hits with different musicians. Um, really talented. He was a talented musician, but even better composer and songwriter. Um, the last one in this category that I want to mention is Ashford and Simpson. So, um, while they were a recording duo and did have a lot of hit, uh, did have success, multiple top, multiple top 40 hits, they were probably, they were definitely better as songwriters. Um, so, uh, they, probably their most known song was Ain't No Mountain High Enough, but their other ones include You're All I Need to Get By, Ain't Nothing Like the Real Thing, Reach Out and Touch Somebody's Hand, um, I'm Every Woman, um, Let's Go Get Stoned, um, a bunch of others. They really, they were excellent songwriters and really, I mean, and I mean, it's a husband-wife duo who just, well, they also produced, I think that their songwriting in particular was just exceptional. Um, so now we're going to go on to the musicians. So, um, the first one that I do want to mention here is, because I said I would start with blues. This one is kind of tough to necessarily say what genre he is, because he was a little bit folk, a little bit blues. Um, but Lead Belly, um, he mostly, he was a singer and mostly played guitar, but... He also played several other instruments, including piano, mandolin, um, harmonica, violin, and windjammer. Um, so, early on, he uh, had a um, he had a lot of a lot of legal issues and arrests, but. But he re but he um but and he didn't have a ton necessarily of commercial success during his career during his lifetime. But since then he is regarded as a legendary musician. Um some of the songs that he's most known for, um well a couple of his renditions were Goodnight Irene um, cotton fields, bull weevil, and um, may, possibly his most known one, midnight special. Um, he also he also uh, wrote and released multiple original uh, original pieces. Um, really talented musician. Um, he 
he was a great he was a great vocalist and an excellent guitarist so um as well um next one i want to mention is t-bone walker because now we're going to go fully into blues so um he was a blues guitarist and was really a pioneer of like electric blues sound and also like a jump blues kind of sound um but um chuck berry cited him as an influence um he rolling stone considered him one of the best guitarists of all time um he really was an excellent guitarist um and he was able to incorporate a lot of different sounds of of blues music um and some other and some other ones in there um and also in addition to chuck berry saying that um like kind of sharing him a main influence bb king has largely said that um he was the reason that he started playing guitar um allman brothers band um they um one of a a they covered one of his songs stormy monday um a lot and it was one of their favorite ones to cover um and jimmy hendrix tried to imitate some of the things that he did and in particular one one thing that jimmy hendrix had imitated tried to imitate was uh t-bone walker sometimes even play guitar with his teeth um the next one that i'd want to mention is uh another blues guitarist and that was earl hooker earl hooker um so he so he died young at the age of 40 but right as his career was starting to become big and he was another one that was an early uh an early electric guitarist and and conveniently enough was also influenced by t-bone walker um he um he was the guitar he was a guitarist on um uh, he was a guitarist on muddy waters hit song you shook me um and basically um but he was like a legendary guitarist and a lot of uh, a lot of musicians really thought highly of him I think that um BB King I think really did say this one best in my opinion. He said, "Quote, uh to me he is the best of modern guitarists, period. With the slide he was the best. It was nobody else like him. He was just one of a kind." Um and I think it is really sad also that he did die so young because he was starting to um become big when he passed um and that i mean that is i mean sadly often there are a lot of musicians that that is the case for um so now the next one that i want to get to is a uh, wc handy um he Oft, um, he often referred to him 
himself as the father of blues. Um, and while he wasn't the creator of blues music and often didn't credit himself as the creator of it, um, he was the first to publish blues music. Um, and in particular, um, the style Delta Blues, um, he, he, uh, did that one. He also recorded some jazz music, but mostly blues stuff. He also incorporated folk music in his music. Um, his, uh, most popular song was Memphis Blues. Um, he, I mean, he really was an, highly influential blues musician, really important in the genre. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't really know what else to say on that one. Um, but next one I want to mention is, uh, Sun House. So, um, he, um, So he didn't get into blues until he was 25. Um, and uh, he, even still, he's like a legendary blues guitarist. And this one I think is really cool um, because, uh, so he was playing in the 30s and 40s. Um, but it was, he started out his career during the Great Depression, so he wasn't selling he locally in its local area um he uh was uh really popular especially in uh mississippi but he um um but then at a around 1943 he moved to New York and then gave up music and he uh, worked as a railroad reporter and a chef suddenly in the mid 60s um, there was this uh, revival of blues music and in particular folk blues folk blues music um cause he was another one who had incorporate he was another delta blues musician who incorporated folk music in his music um he uh he had no idea that there was this revitalization but then suddenly in the 1960s some uh some producers and promoters found him after they had been looking for after they had been looking for years for him because his music suddenly became popular and uh he and um all these folk festivals suddenly he was performing at all these folk festivals throughout the 60s and had found all this success there um i mean he Um, he has, uh, he did have multiple singles that were successful. Probably his most successful one was Preaching the Blues. And his most well-known one was that one. Um, but, but he also, but he also was, um, a 
notable slide guitar player. And I I always love the stories of uh, an artist uh, goes MIA for a few years and then, or for several years, then suddenly they find him. Um, next one I'll mention is Little Walter. So he was a blues harmonica player and singer. He also played guitar too, but um, he is probably the best known blues harmonica player. Um, and one of the, probably one of the best harmonica players, all genres even. Um, he uh, influenced a lot of, a lot of musicians. Um, in particular, um, he was even compared to, uh, to Django Reinhardt, Charlie Parker, and Jimi Hendrix, just with his, uh, influence on the genre, and, uh, what he was able to do with the harmonica really, um, changed people's perception of the instrument, even. Um, the next one I want to get to is, uh, Big Mama Thornton. So, um, she was kind of blend of, she was arguably R&B also, um, but she also did, but, um, I think, but her two biggest hits were, um, were both blues songs. So, um, she is most known for, uh, being the first person to, uh, record Hound Dog, which was written by, uh, Jerry Lieber, Jerry Lieber and Mike Stroller, um, ultimately, Several other musicians recorded it. Um, Elvis is, was probably the was probably the was obviously the most known. I would say, um, but then she also uh, did a she one that she wrote herself was a blues song called "Ball and Chain," which um, might be her best known song now, and that's because. Uh, Janis Joplin um, was a big fan of Thornton and had covered that song. Um, but yeah, she... Um, I mean, she's a legendary blues musician. Um, really powerful singing voice. Um, really confident also. Um, she was also influenced heavily by gospel music. Um, and uh, a lot of... and. Also, a lot of people did um, point to uh, her. Um, did point to uh, her uh, role in really showing what African American women could do, and in particular, both Elvis and Janis Joplin. The reason that like Elvis wanted to do Hound Dog, and the reason that Joplin wanted to do Ball and Chain was because. They um was because they were so influenced by that music, that her music, and thought that she was in- incredible. Um, next one I'll mention. So the next few are ones that I would even argue were um crossed over into rock a little bit. Um, first one is Willie Dixon. So it's a 
multi uh, multi instrumentalist, mostly played bass, but also could play guitar. He also sang. Um, was an incredible song, uh, songwriter as well. Um, and uh, probably he and Muddy Waters. Well, Muddy Waters is the the more notable figure, uh, more known figure. Um, he, the two of them are might be the most influential in uh, Chicago blues after World War Two. So, um, several of his songs, or some of his songs include Hoochie Coochie Man, I Just Want to Make Love to You, uh, Little Red Rooster, My Babe, Spoonful, and You Can't Judge a Book by His Cover. Um, in, per- in particular, Hoochie Coochie Man was, um, ended up being first recorded by Muddy Waters, and it was a mass, like, really successful, um, But yeah, he's um I mean even just those songs that were written um were performed by um were performed by artists like Muddy Waters, Helen Wolf, Little Richard and uh and even Bo Diddley. All all of whom were big names, really influential artists. Um but yeah, he is. He's known as an. He is known as a fantastic uh, blues musician and songwriter, um, and really was also influential in rock music with his songwriting. So, um, the next one I want to bring up is Winoni Harris. So. He did have a little bit of crossover into rock, but um, um, in particular, his song "Good Rocking Tonight" is uh, is a jump blues song, but it did it did was an influence on rock music a few years before that because that was released in uh, forty seven, and um, he uh, in particular was did a lot of songs that were in uh that were considered dirty blues, which was often, uh, blues music that did, uh, um, that incorporated, um, that incorporated taboo topics, which in particular, probably his most known song, that was it, when he did a version of Keep on Churning Till the Butter Comes. You can probably imagine what that one's referring to, but he, um, But yeah, he because he did find that those kind of that kind of music really funny. Um, and he his songs were uh, all over the place with on the R and B charts. Um, he also had a song that hit number seven in the U S. Um, with uh, "Who Threw the Whiskey in the Well." But yeah, he was a precursor to rock and really was important uh, important in that regard, and especially was influential on Elvis's career because Elvis saw him perform in the early fifties, and uh, really wanted to, and his dancing style, 
was trying was trying to uh, imitate him because he saw um Harris's he saw Harris swing his hips like that and he saw people go crazy would go crazy and generate controversy over that and he thought hey that will be publicity for me and was really influential and Harris was really influential in that regard um so screaming Jay Hawkins is the next one I want to discuss um he really went into a lot of uh a lot of different genres. Um, probably his most known song is "I Put a Spell on You," um, which is a '50s R&B slash rock song. He did have a lot of uh, early music that was more blues, but really, he probably was. Um, but while he didn't have a ton of success as a, a recording artist. He opened for a lot of major acts, including Fast Domino and the Rolling Stones. Um, and a big part of that is because of uh, of all the various props that he was able to use. And um, basically, he is considered an early pioneer of shock rock. Um, and his performances often, like, they were, like, it wasn't surprised to see a skeleton on stage kind of thing, um, in, like, the 50s and 60s. Um, and he has even been described as, like, an icon for, and an influence for goth rock music, even. And just, like, what he was able to do in that regard is really influential in various forms of rock so now we're gonna go on to jazz music so jazz i know blues had a bunch jazz has a little bit more than that but um hoping i can get through that kind of quicker um so um one thing that i didn't say also was that there are a few pre-rock artists that i really do can that i would say are like that I would call like pre-rock artists. Um, Harris was one, Hawkins is another one, and the last one of the three that I'm mentioning in this one is Cab Calloway. There's even a case that there there is a case to be made that Cab Calloway was the even the first rock artist, but I think that his stylistically he probably wasn't, and also he came a bit too early probably, but he um hit his performances, uh, basically he received all sorts of acclaim because his performances were so entertaining. Um, his uh, most famous song was Minnie the Moocher, recorded in, the, in 1931. Um, he, he was also in a bunch of different films, including Stormy Weather, Porky and Bess, Cincinnati Kid, and Hello Dolly. Um, He also appeared in the Blues Brothers later on, but um, throughout the 30s, his uh, yeah, throughout the 30s, his songs were uh, 
were really popular. Um, and then he still ha had success that went into the 40s. Um, and even had songs here and there beyond that. But yeah, he, um, I think just especially his performing style really just lent himself to the way that uh, rock would eventually um, see the same, you'd see the same kind of thing in rock. Um, the So um, the next one I want to mention is a really big, big name singer. I know I said I would do more smaller names, but I couldn't resist on this one, and that's Ella Fitzgerald. So she had several songs that um, were massive. So, for instance, she say um, she did a rendition of A Tisket to Tasket. Um, she sang, Dream a little dream of me, cheek to cheek, into each life some rain must fall, and it don't mean a thing if it ain't got that swing. Um, that one, honestly, is a song that comes to mind when I think of her. Um, but I think that the thing, though, that, um, really, um, I would say, uh, probably, um, defines her was, uh, developing scatting. So, um, when she was working with Dizzy Gillespie, Dizzy, Dizzy Gillespie, um, she um she just would start scat singing during her while well, during performing and what she had she had said about that was quote i was quote i just tried to do um what i heard the horns in the band doing and ultimately ended up being a wildly uh wildly influential and popular uh thing within uh within jazz music um next one I want to mention is uh uh Jack Dejanet um he was more of a jazz fusion artist um but he was incredible incredibly influential drummer um ex excellent drummer uh well he he was a leader for some for different jazz fusion groups he also um was a sideman uh performing for various artists including miles davis sonny rollins joe henderson michael brecker keith jarrett bill evans john abercrombie charles floyd freddie hubbard um, Alice Coltrane, um, a lot of other musicians, John Schofield, Herbie Hancock also, um, yeah, he really was an iconic drummer, um, and he was able to incorporate a lot of different drumming styles, um, like his ability to incorporate free jazz really, um, made him a just made him a really in demand drummer as well and really really popular um the next one i want to mention um another one that was 
but that was really successful but I still want to discuss is Art Tatum so he's a he was a jazz musician um basically with uh his playing style um he was really popular in the 40s but then his uh popularity declined after that um but even still he uh he was so talented that um basically there were people that tried to copy him there were some that wondered if they could even keep up with him some that there were even some musicians I love this one some musicians that even changed tried like ultimately figured that they had to change their instrument because they didn't think that that they could like uh for instance Everett Barksdale he switched over to draw uh, to guitar so did Les Paul um but really one thing that I find hysterical was that um so when he in the 30s especially when he would do shows he would do um he would do various paid performances then he would sit there and after the concert just play for a while just improv during it and drink a crapload during it for multiple hours after these performances were done which was not as common at that time but even still while it ultimately did uh, negatively impact his health then cause him to die at the age of 47 he was such a talented and creative musician that he was able to do that um, next one I'll mention is Ronald Shannon Jackson so um, he was a jazz drummer um, he was like a pioneer of a pioneering artist of like a various experimental jazz music like in particular avant-garde jazz um, some free funk also and then jazz fusion um, he um Basically, one quote about him that two writers, David Breskin and Rafi Saber, um, said about him was, quote, I called him, quote, the most stately free jazz drummer in the history of the the idiom, a regal and thundering presence. Um, I think just that, like, really he was well regarded as a drummer, um, and he's another one that like with his creativity with drummer and his ability to be a free jazz drum drummer which really is um because it was more experimental was more difficult it ultimately made him people wanted him to be on their recordings and he really wa- and he was able to do it. Um, next one I want to mention is a uh, legendary jazz saxophonist and a n- massive name, um, one of the first major jazz saxophonists. Also, Coleman Hawkins, the Reese. Mm, excuse me. Reason I wanted to mention him was that he is one of my two favorite jazz musicians. 
One of them is Dave Brubeck. The other one is Coleman Hawkins. And uh, he, um, because at that time, it wasn't, while there were some tenor saxophonists beforehand, um, it wasn't really necessarily known as a jazz musician. I mean, jazz jazz instrument, rather. Um, and uh, he... And he incorporated a lot of solos in his music. Um, really good at improvising as well. Um, really was influential to a lot of of uh, saxophonists after him, many of whom became really popular. Um, he was important in a bunch of different styles of jazz, including swing music and bebop. Um, but um, one that I love that Lester uh, Lester Young, another saxophonist, had said was uh, who. So Lester Young was nicknamed Prez, and what and what Hawkins said was, uh, as far as I'm concerned, I think Coleman Hawkins was the president first, right? As far as myself, I think I'm the second one. Um, he. Yeah, he was a, I mean, he was just a fantastic musician. Um, probably his most known song, um, was his version of uh, the song, Body and Soul. Um, really, just incredible musician. And I'm, I love his music. That's all. Like, I mean, just one of those things where you just love the music and you can't get enough of it. Um, next one I'll mention is uh, Roy Eldridge. Um. Nicknamed Lil Jazz, he was a jazz trumpet player. Um, he, um, I mean, his he was really influential. Um, because of uh, he of his really just being uh, of his versatility on the instrument. Um, with how low end, how, how many, how low and high he could go, how many octaves he could hit with it. Um, and, I mean, he also could play, he also could play really fast with it. Um, great at, great at, and in particular, great at harmonizing with that, which really was um, influential on many musicians, including a uh, Dizzy, Dizzy, Gillespie, Dizzy Gillespie, um, when, um, when, like, really at that, up until that point, um, everyone kind of knew more, uh, Louis Armstrong's style, but Eldridge really was, like, more of the way that he was able to harmonize and also go so, high, be able to play so high, really changed how that one worked. Um, Next one I want to briefly mention is King Oliver. So um, he was a cornet player. Um, really, what he? Well, I would say he was probably most known for was just what he was able to do with mutes, and um, he used a bunch of different a bunch of different ones. He tried a bunch of different mutes to different effects. Um, 
And then, uh, like, he tried, like, a plunger's plumber, um, a hat, bottles, cups, um, he, and he would just try all sorts of things just to alter the sound of it. Um, he also, uh, he also was a mentor to Louis Armstrong, and actually, um, he, and, um, when Armstrong was, uh, young, he actually gave, uh, gave him a job in, in it, um, and Louis Armstrong, uh, really does consider, uh, King Oliver to be important in, uh, in, um, his, uh, um, excuse me, to be, um, really giving him a shot. Um, next one I want to mention is, uh, um, is, uh, another pianist, Teddy Wilson. Um, so, he worked with a lot of big names in jazz, um, going Louis Armstrong, Billy Holiday, Benny Goodman, uh, Lena Horne, uh, Ella Fitzgerald, but in particular, one thing that he was able to do, because he, he, um, he led his own groups, but then also did a lot as a sideman, was that he ultimately became um one of the f- or along with Benny um uh, when he performed with Benny Goodman um he became one of the first uh one of the first black musicians to perform alongside alongside white white musicians which I mean at that time it was really uh I mean it wasn't like this was like in the 30s so that was obviously really controversial at that time but but he was an excellent uh pianist he was known for having a sophisticated elegant style um and was really a massive name in swing music um next one i'll mention is earl hines another big name in swing music um he was really influential in just as a whole the development of the jazz piano um and really was influential in the genre and with the um with shaping the fact how the instrument could be used with that um and really, um, like for instance, um, pianist Errol Gardner had said basically, when you talk about greatness, you talk about Art Tatum and Earl Hines. Um, Count Basie had said that he's the that Hines was the greatest piano player in the world. Um, really had a long career. Also, um, he was big in jazz. Um, during he had a little bit of success in bebop but then in the late 40s um wound up uh being big again because he teamed up with 
uh, with Louis Armstrong. Um, but yeah, he was an excellent, excellent musician for many, many years. And to say that he is the was the greatest jazz pianist of all time, I'm not an expert in jazz music, but it sounds fair. Um, next one I mentioned is Eric Dolphy. So he was a multi, a multi instrumentalist in jazz music. Um, he, uh, I mean, because he could play sax, he could play um, bass clarinet clarinet, he could play uh, flute, he could play piccolo. Um, but yeah, he was an excellent sideman in particular. Um, he was a great in- improvisationalist who could uh, who used a wide interval, but also really did um, try to incorporate various different uh, try to incorporate different techniques and try to just create new sounds um he really was in um influential in bebop music also um and really was just his experimentation was really influential as well um he uh He performed alongside a lot of big name artists, including Charlie Mingus, John Coltrane, and uh, Booker Little. Booker Booker Little. He also had success as a solo artist in the '60s, um, or as a leader rather. Um, yeah, he. But he um, he passed away really young in uh, at the age of 36. Um, because. Um, this one was kind of controversial. It was really controversial also because, uh, he, uh, fell into a diabetic coma, went to the hospital, and, um, they treated him as if, uh, they figured that he, that it was substance abuse that was causing it and he had an overdose. Um, but the thing was, he didn't smoke or use any drugs. So, um... So that one was really controversial as a result. Um, the next one I want to mention is actually, we'll do one more jazz musician, I think. Yeah. Um, the last one I want to mention is actually a blend between that one and the next genre. Um, the Mills Brothers. So the Mills Brothers, um, they uh they were a blend of jazz and traditional pop they were a vocal group they they might have uh been the first or they might have recorded over 2000 recordings their discography is absolutely insane um But yeah, and they had a they were massive also. Um they um 
they were the first uh They, I mean, they were the first African-American artists to have their own national network radio show. They had one on CBS in 1930. Um, they also had multiple number one hits. Um, and in particular, um, they... Like they might have been the first, uh, they might have been the first African American artist to have number one hits on the Billboard charts, even. Um, but and even still, they even in like the early fifties, they were still really popular as rock music grew. Um, they were, they wound up be, they had a long tenure, were really successful for a long period of time. Um, really were just a really popular group and really were a one that was able to cross over. Um, next one that I want to mention is another group, another artist that had some crossover ones and this one now we're shifting more into traditional pop. I have one traditional pop artist to mention and that is Roy Hamilton. So, um, Roy Hamilton, um, while a lot of black singers at that time were um um like in the forties and fifties were doing like jazz, blues, R and B. He went with traditional pop music. Um he uh um he signed with um Um, he signed with Epic Records, wound up being massive. Um, in particular, uh, his two most influential recordings were You'll Never Walk Alone and Unchained Melody, um, his renditions of them. They both topped the charts for the R&B, the R&B charts. And also, Unchained Melody, his version of Unchained Melody hit number six in the U.S., which became the label's first top ten pop hit. Um, he was the genre's, um, he was the genre's record, uh, er, first massive star. Um, he was influential in, uh, in the career of Sam Cooke, um, Elvis Presley, um, the Righteous Brothers, and in particular, they even did a version of Unchained Melody. Um, and then, uh, and then also, uh, Jerry and the Pacemakers were love their music too. Um, but yeah, he really also he um, he was able to bring this uh, sound of soul into uh, into traditional pop music and what was kind of considered the Great American Songbook. Alright, now we're going to do discuss a few gospel artists. Um, so the next one I want to discuss is uh, Shirley Cesar. Um, 
she is uh so she started in the 50s still performing to this day um she's called the first lady of gospel music and the queen of gospel music just because of how successful that she she is um she has won all sorts of awards for her music um and she really is, i mean she even has like a a star on the walk of fame um she was inducted into the gospel music hall of fame she's in the north carolina music hall of fame um she performed for multiple presidents she sold uh she sold 2.2 million albums even just since 1991 um she also is like a prolific recorder she's uh, prolific in recording she's recorded like 40 albums uh created three uh gospel musicals um she really is just a fantastic singer and uh And the nicknames with her are fair. Um, next one go from uh, the queen of gospel music and the f- first lady of gospel music to the first lady of modern gospel music and uh, the queen of contemporary gospel music, Yolanda Adams. So um, she was the most she was the most popular gospel artist of the two thousands. Um, I know she is more popular than the other ones that I wanted to mention, but um, but really, she did help with the rise of uh, with the way that she was able to incorporate in the eighties and nineties, um, more of like the urban R and B sound, especially in the nineties, um, and then. Um, and her album, in particular, her album, Mountain High Valley Low, um, and she brought in Kelly Price for that one, um, who was a little bit outside the genre in R&B, um, and Brian, Brian producers who had produced for, uh, other R&B artists, and really she was she kept up her popularity after, from that time on and uh, really is just a, one of the one of the more popular artists in the genre um, the next one that I want to mention is uh, Clara Ward so um, so Ward was a uh, she also achieved a lot more commercial success than other artists I did I'm doing but um but uh, what what she in particular was able to do was she was in addition to being an excellent singer um she also was uh great at arranging um often incorporating things that were uh 
found in a that uh, were found in at the time in more men's vocal vocal quartets. She started incorporating them in, into female cor, uh, female groups, and uh, really, she is um, she is highly regarded as a, as a songwriter and uh, um, and an arranger. Now, she was also one heck of a singer, and. Uh, for her time might have been uh the uh, might have might have been the um one of the best gospel singers of her time. Uh, and the next one I do want to mention is uh the Soul Stirrers. So um so while they were gospel, they also were influential in various other genres, including uh soul, duop, and Motown music as a whole. Um, and Sam Cooke was, and was, um, started his career with them. And in particular, um, he did a song, um, he did a song with them, Jesus Gave Me Water, which, uh, helped elevate both the band, or the group, and him. Um, and uh, they, the original members were inducted as early influences into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, um, but just what they were, uh, they had a lot. In addition to Sam Cooke, they had a lot of other big name sing, uh, singers in the genres that uh, did go with them. But Sam Cooke is the biggest name out of those. And the last gospel artist I want to mention is uh, possibly the greatest gospel singer of all time. Um, and uh, one who did have some commercial success, but really not a not a boatload. And that's James Cleveland. Um, so, he really was influential with uh, the creation of modern, of um, more of a modern gospel sound, um, because he incorporated traditional gospel music, but then also incorporated soul, pop, and jazz into them. Was a um, and was a and was great at arranging for, uh, for, uh, for mass choirs in particular, um, but he also did something that um, that now is uh, more of a trend but wasn't as much at the time but what he would do was he would take all sorts of popular songs especially in pop R&B and soul and he would um, re rework them as uh, um, into gospel songs to get these song to get um, gospel audiences in love with these different songs. Um, but yeah, he uh, he also ultimately he probably appeared on hundreds of recordings. He earned four Grammys. Um, he was the first gospel musician uh, to have a star on the Walk of Hollywood Walk of Walk of Fame. 
Um, he really was a trailblazer in the genre. Um, so we're going to go on to more R&B. The first two that I want to mention with this one, it were it really did cross over into rock. Um, so um, first one is Fats Domino. So I know he's a little bit big, but I really just wanted to mention him because he was such an important pioneer of rock, but is really underrated because probably his of how humble and shy he was but in particular Elvis had said Elvis had called him the real king of rock and roll um he influenced a lot of rock artists um was one of the big star the earliest big stars of rock and was also and one of the first R&B artists to become really popular in what among white artists um And then, like, the Beatles were massive fans of them. Um, he had several, several big hits. Um, probably his most known songs are Blueberry Hill, Ain't It a Shame, Walking to New Orleans, and The Fat Man. Um, the, the Fat Man in particular, there's a case to be made that that's the but that's the first rock song. If it's not a rock song, it was massively influential in the genre. Um, next one I want to mention briefly is uh, the Coasters. They're another one that were like kind of like a blend between R and B and rock. Um, I mean, really, the main reason that I wanted to mention them was that. They is the because the song that I first think of them when uh, the song I think of when I first think of them actually there's two, Yakety Yak and Charlie Brown, just two really fun songs, and they um they also had a um a bunch of other hits, um Searchin', Young Blood, um Along Came Jones, Poison Ivy, some other ones but though but. Yakety Yak and Charlie Brown are the two that I just think of as like especially with 50s rock and while uh um they just two songs that were just so that were just a lot of fun and were like one of those kind of typical jukebox songs uh next one I want to mention is another one that really was um really was influential with uh in a lot of different genres James Jamerson he was a bassist um basically was the bass player on pretty much every Motown hit um a lot of different publications consider him the number one bassist of all time and the most influential bass bassist of all time I don't have a list of bassists, but for me, the list starts with James Jamerson, and um, no matter what, um, he uh, I mean, he did a lot of things with uh, um, that was uh, that really, because a lot of bassists, bass playing at that time was really like 
root notes, repetitive patterns, fifths, stuff like that. This one in particular, he had like different like chromatic runs, syncopations, inversions, all sorts of different things, which really was important in the Motown sound. Um, and he switched. He was also he also switched over from uh from uh upright bass to uh, electric bass when the electric bass was really new and wasn't as established. But he he just kind of played like he would have for the upright bass, but then just made it more nuanced. Um, and ultimately, that became an important part of not only Motown music, but also just music as a whole. And was he was so important in music. Um, he passed away young at the age of 47, um, but he was one heck of a musician and he as a sideman could be the star of the show in a time that was that was not as common um next one I group I mentioned is uh, the five royales um so they were an R&B group a vocal group um and in particular, they were influential in the evolution of rock because of what they were able to do with blending R&B, gospel, blues, and doo-wop, which really was a necessity for them. Um, their most uh, popular first song was a uh, their most popular song was probably dedicated to the one I love. Um, that one ended up being a massive hit by the Cherries. Um, they were really influential in uh, rock, R&B, blues. Um, but yeah, they all probably their biggest commercial hit was either "Help Me Somebody" or "Baby Don't Do It." Um, but yeah, they were a really important group. The next one I want to mention is Ruth Brown. Um, she was nicknamed the Queen of R&B. Uh, I saw him. she's, uh, she, she was able to bring a, a style of pop, like pop music into R&B and which gave her a bunch of big hits in the fifties. Um, so her biggest songs were versions of so long teardrops from my eyes and mama, he treats your daughter mean. Um, and really she was important it, with, uh, in Atlantic, Atlantic music and was a massive star for them. Even some calling, some using the nickname, the house that Ruth built, uh, um, referring to the nickname with Babe Ruth. Um, the next one I want to discuss is uh a Cherylese, um a Cherylese, I mean um so uh they're a girl group they were probably more R&B but then they also incorporated doo-wop soul pop and even were like uh even did, were able to incorporate rock into the 
their music. Um, they and um, the members for that one were Shirley Owens, Doris Coley, um, Addie Harris, and uh, or Mickey Harris, and uh, Beverly Lee. Um, they they were really really popular, and in particular, one thing that they were their most known songs were uh, "Will You Love Me Tomorrow" and "Tonight's the Night." But in particular, one thing that they that was notable for them doing was that they had this um uh like kind of like naive if like this naive girl girl school girl sound, but then incorporated like a bunch of sexual themes into their songs, um, and uh, they. They, there's a case that they might have been the first really popular girl group. Also, their their success has uh, been attributed. It was attributed early on with like their success in the late fifties, early sixties, with uh, the with early success of the civil rights movement because they were an early group that found crossover success with white artists. Um, and really, they ultimately were a really influential, uh, a really influential group, um, and especially in pop music. Um, next one I want to mention is a musician who uh, really performed a bunch of different styles, and that's Esther Esther Phillip es- Esther Phillips. So um, she was more of an R and B R and B musician, but she also found success in blues, pop, jazz soul and even country um her most popular song in the u.s was release me which um her version of it in 1962 wound up a being a top 10 hit but then she also had all sorts of other r&b songs that were successful um Double Crossing Blues, Mistrusting Blues, Cupid's Boogie, and a few other songs. Those ones all hit number one in the R&B charts. There were a few other ones that were, um, they were really successful. Um, she also died young, died at the age of 48. Um, but but yeah, but what's even crazier though also, in my opinion, is that 1950 and like all these the songs that I mentioned that were big hits on the R&B charts those were all released in the 1950s but then she basically she had a but then she had a drug addiction and uh, was struggling with money then Kenny Rogers found her singing at this club loved her thought that she was an amazing singer got her a contract and then she released Release Me, which hit n- number eight in the U.S. Um, so I do think that one's kind of cool to see, like kind of like a 
comeback story there. Um, the next one is The Spinners. Not to get mixed up with the, the UK folk group. This one is the R&B voc and soul vocal group. Um, they really were great at... They, they were really great at... They were just so... Such smooth singers. Um, they were also great at improvising too. But they did find a bunch of commercial success for Tamir's. They had a number one hit. They had a, some other top ten hits. Um, so they had a few top ten hits. They were nominated for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2015. Um, they, as tough to necessarily say, just how influential they were, in my opinion. But even still, just showing their popularity, they did get a star on the walk, the Hollywood Walk of Fame, also. Um, so the last one I wanted to include in this genre, um, this one's one that I don't. It's, this is another tough one to say what genre he is exactly. But Booker T. Jones, most known as the the leader and keyboard and multi-instrumentalist of Booker T and the MGs. They, they're they probably most known for their hit Green Onions, but they were the house band for Stax Records. And basically it's like... Basically it's like, name an artist on the record, and they played for them. So Wilson Pickett, Otis Redding, Bill Withers, Sam and Dave... Carla Thomas, Rufus Thomas, Johnny Taylor, and Albert King, for instance. Those are all musicians that were on there. Um, Booker T was the leader of that group. He's still at it, still performing, still touring, still touring, performing festivals. Great musicians. Um, and also, Steve Cropper is um, it's a member of Booker T and the MGs, who's their guitarist. Like, they're one of the best guitars of all time. Um, and also, Booker T and the MGs were the, or might might have been, if not, they were one of the first racially integrated rock groups because they had two black members. In um, Al Jackson, Booker T Jones, and Al Jackson Jr. and they had two white members in Steve Cropper and uh, Donald Dunn. But really, especially Booker T, fantastic musician. Um, and then one soul artist I want to mention, really popular artist. He probably more popular than uh Maybe the most popular artist I'm going to mention, Sam Cooke. The main reason I want to mention him is because, in my opinion, he is one of the two greatest singers of all time. I have Aretha Franklin number one and him number two. In particular, his song, A Change Is Gonna Come, I have that. I consider that one the best song of all time. He also did uh, You Send Me, Cupid, Wonderful World, Chain Gang, Twisting the Night Away, Bring It On Home to Me, and Good Times. 
Um, he was really influential in civil rights movement. Um, when I did a protest music uh, segment for a Change Is Gonna Come, I'd mentioned that he heard Bob Dil- a Bob Dylan song and was... And uh, what and was slight and was kind of ashamed about the fact that uh, I don't know if ashamed's the right word, but kind of was wondering how a white man could make great songs about this about civil rights movement, but then was but then he wouldn't. So ultimately, he made change going to come, and ultimately became an important figure in the civil rights movement before he was murdered in 1964 at the age of 33. Um, so now I'm going to go into a few reggae ska artists. So for reggae, the one that would have made sense to have gone to would have been Bob Marley. But I didn't want to go with someone that popular. So instead we're going to go with a different member of the Whalers, Peter Tosh. So, um, fantastic guitars, maybe the best reggae guitarist of all time. Um, another member of the Whalers. Um, he really was um, he was influential in uh, in guitar playing, reggae music. Um, he found some popularity in the U.S. Um, and he was a uh, he was also, um, one thing that was influential was, uh, his fight for, uh, for marijuana rights, um, but one that does make me laugh was, uh, he released an album called Legalize It, and I don't know if this was true or not, but one that I heard, at least one rumor that I heard, was that they tried to make it where um, the rapping on the album album was wrapped in uh was wrapped in a uh, wrapping paper, like um paper for marijuana. And, um, I don't know if that was true, but, uh, ultimately they had all sorts of censorship issues, um, in Jamaica, but it was unable to be banned. Um, next one I'll mention is one that was kind of a blend, but, um, well, he did reggae, but then also was really influential in, um, dub music. And that was Lee Perry, nickname Scratch. So, well, he was a great singer and songwriter. He was really influential in production. And in particular, he, um, he, I'll probably consider him like the grandfather of dub music. Um, there were a few other ones that did it. He really was important in that regard. Um, with just his, uh, way that he did early remixing. 
um, in to create um, to create new instrumental parts or new vocal parts for new reggae tracks. Um, so uh, he was a really prolific recorder. Um, to, uh, like frequently de- recorded at least one album a year and often more in particular in the 70s he released or he was involved with four and four albums in 1970 um he was influent influential a lot of different artists and has worked with a lot of different artists too um but i mean really i think really not only impacted uh advancement in reggae music but also just music as a whole um so the next one to bridge the gap between reggae and ska here is jimmy cliff um he was a rare case of an artist in reggae and ska who was able to uh to find uh, crossover success across europe and to u.s um so uh, he had a version of uh, I Can See Clearly Now that was a big hit in the 90s um, because it appeared in Cool, cool Runnings. But he also had Wonderful World, Wonderful People, which had a bunch of places. Um, Wild World, which was a big hit in Europe. Um, Reggae Night had a bunch of success worldwide. Um, the song he's most, probably most known for is Many Rivers to Cross. Um heavily covered song after that but really um important song in reggae um he he really is was an ex, he, or he still is he's still performing really is an excellent performer as a whole as well um so now um for one that uh was a, probably a little bit more ska, Prince Buster. So, um, he did do um, some reggae, but also some rock steady, but uh, he really was influential in a uh, in, uh, UK ska revival. And a big part of that was because he, in the late 60s, he had a massive hit in the UK. Um, as the song Al Capone hit number eighteen in the the peaked at eighteen in the UK and charted for thirteen weeks. Um, so, so in the seventies, his really was important in uh, the um the two in two tone ska revival. Um. Sky Revival because of all these artists that were really big fans of his music and in particular like a um band Madness um was big hits of them um the specials were big hits um bunch of other artists were really big hits um and he also was influential on other artists within reggae and ska after that.
Um, next one I want to mention is Desmond Decker. So, um, he, so, um, his, he was involved with, uh, he was the lead performer along with his band, The Aces, um, that had one of the earliest reggae hits. Um, where uh, they had Israelites, which ended up being this massive, massive hit. Um, then they also had um, 007 at Mech, and you can get it if you... You can get it if you really want. Um, the imp- while Israelites was a worldwide hit, they were so um the, like reggae and ska had some had a bunch of success in the UK, and they were one of the more popular artists in the UK with that Decker was one of the more popular artists in the UK with reggae in particular um and had several hits that were successful there um now I want to mention um one Calypso artist and that one is the King of Calypso more popular than I had planned to include in there but I couldn't not include this Harry Belafonte so, um, he is probably most known for his song, um, Deo, the Banana Boat song, um, and, uh, his, his, it's a traditional song, uh, Jamaican folk song, but his version is, uh, the, the most pop- popular version of it. He's had several, several, several other hits. Um, has been a prolific recording artist, like especially throughout the fifties and sixties. Had seemed really did seem like he had or he had multiple hits, but then albums his albums as a whole sold so well. His tours sold out. Um, he also was has been really influential in um, politics and has been really politically active. He was really involved in the civil rights movement. Um, since then, he has been really politically active. Um, he is a Democrat and has been uh, um, really strong in uh, his um, he has been really strong strong with uh, his um with his support for de- uh for democratic poli- uh policies and politics as well so we're so the next one I want to mention so now we're going to move on to a few funk artists so the first one I want to mention because I can't I there's a few artists that I can't talk about if I'm talk I can't not talk about. So while I could talk about 
James Brown and Sly Stone. Um, those ones I should. I'm going to go with someone not necessarily as popular, but still. Extremely important in funk music, and that's George Clinton. I include George Clinton as a whole because he was in um he was the leader of par- the Parliament Funkadelic Collective. Um Clinton Brown and Celestone were probably the innovators of funk music. Um he uh had success as a Um, as a solo artist as well but but in particular probably some of his most known songs include uh, or with P-Funk Give Up the Funk One Nation Under One Groove um, Knee Deep Atomic Dog Flashlight Maggot Brain a Funkadelic song which in my opinion is their best song um, really good song. Um, P Funk, Mothership Connection, Aqua Boogie, Bootzilla, um, Funkin' um, Do That Stuff, the Pinocchio Theory, Up for the Downstroke, and then several others. Really prolific in funk music. Um, and really just, he was able to like, what he was able to do with psychedelic music also, and also what he was um, with his album Computer Games. He, that one influenced electrofunk, and then also was uh, in his. He also influenced hip hop and uh, G funk with his genres. Um, next funk artist I want to mention is The Meters. Um, so. They're a funk R&B group. Um, the um, um, they're uh, they had like multiple hit songs. Um, in particular, uh, Sissy Strut and Look Up, uh, Look Up PP. Um, they um. Um, those ones were, uh, classics in funk, but, I'm sorry, look up Pi Pi, um, but they also were, in addition to having, like, a mainstream success and being influential in funk, they also were backing artists for a bunch of different artists, including Lee Dorsey, Robert Palmer, Dr. John, and, uh, information, Alan Toussaint, um, They've been nominated for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame a few times. Um, I think they should get in personally. Um, they're a really influential group and really important in funk music. Um, the next one is kind of a blend of uh, R&B and funk. And that one is the Brothers Johnson. So, um... They, um, 
they had a few hit singles. Um, I'll be good to you. Stomp, Strawberry Letter 23. Um, they had a couple albums that, a few albums that sold really well, but really, so it was formed by uh, mainly George Johnson and Lewis Johnson, but Lewis Johnson really in particular. He was one heck of a bass player. Um, a lot of a lot of uh, publications consider him one of the best of all time. Um, he was, and he was also uh, he was also a bassist on uh, on Thriller, uh, Michael Jackson's album. He and some other Michael Jackson albums, but he really is he really was an excellent bassist, and the group. group the group had some awesome stuff um next one I want to mention is Rick James um so uh he uh he did a bunch of different uh, a bunch of different genres but uh his uh most popular song was more of a funk song and that's super freak um he also had uh from that album also had a give it to me Baby, which also had some disco in it. Um, he also had a uh, You and I, Mary Jane, um, Ebony Eyes. He had a bunch of other songs in there, but he is most known for, um, at this point, most known for Super Freak. But even still, he was really important in funk, R&B, especially funk and disco, though. Um, the last one for this genre is Isaac Hayes. So he's another one that, uh, he was, so he was really popular and is still like well-known, well-regarded, but the main reason that I want, uh, that I wanted to mention him was, uh, one main reason and that is Shaft. He recorded the, um, so he did the soundtrack for Shaft and, uh, his, uh, and he had the theme song for Shaft, which ended up hitting number one in the U.S., hitting number four in the U.K., um, was this, his biggest hit was absolutely massive. And, I mean, yes, he, he was a well-regarded musician as well, but even still, though, that Shaft alone was the biggest reason that I put him on there. Um, so now we're going to move on to disco. Um, first disco artist I want to mention is Gloria Gaynor. So Gloria Gaynor at this point is more known for I Will Survive. However, she was massive in disco. Um, she also had a Never Can Say Goodbye, which was an earlier disco song. She had a release of Reach Out, I'll Be There. Um, she she had a version of Walk On By. She, um, um, she had one Let Me, uh, Let Me Know. Um, she had a soul disco version of, uh, I Am What I Am. Basically, 
so particular she um she was great at taking songs and making them her own and in particular I Will Survive just ended up being a massive massive hit and really possibly the hallmark of I mean you can make the case for Dancing Queen or Staying Alive but that one might be the hallmark of disco music um and really, disco music as a whole did have a big influence. Like, a lot of the big-name artists in disco music were black. And that one, uh... And, yeah, that one just, uh... Was, um... And she really... She, Donna Summer, um, they were, like, leaders of that one. Um, the Tramps are another one I want to mention. Um, they're most known for Disco Inferno, Disco Inferno, um, which was released in 1976. Then was included in the um, film in the soundtrack to the film Saturday Night Fever. Was ended up being re-released and was a massive hit in the U.S. Um, they also had a cover song of uh, "Zing Went the Strings of My Heart." Um, also had a uh, some success with that's uh that's where the happy people go um hold back the night uh some other songs but even still disco inferno inferno as a whole was really another one that was um that felt like the epitome of the um um of disco and the last disco i want to mention in particular is Victor Willis. He is best known for being the founding member, lead singer, co-songwriter, um, and really leader of the Village People. So um, their most known song is another one that's the epitome of disco with YMCA, but they also had several other hits, including Macho Man in the Navy, Go West, um, really in the late 70s in particular they were big they were really big um and they st- and YMCA is still massive and um in particular they ended up being a um they also in particular had targeted um them being really big in part because they found that disco had a large gay audience and they targeted that in particular um so now got a few more remaining Uh, i'm gonna try to because i know this has been a long one so far i'm gonna try to go a little quicker um so now we're gonna go into electronic music and this one i think is uh there's a bunch of electronic artists that were black that were really influential um so in particular, I could go with the Belleville Three, um, but I'll say them: uh, Kevin Saunderson, Derek May, and Juan Atkins. The three, the big three in in Detroit techno, arguably the earliest techno artists. Also, um, or maybe not the earliest ones, but really influential with uh, early techno music. 
um, with Kevin Souderson, you ha- had the uh, you had uh, the Reese Baseline, which was really influential in electronic music. Um, and and yeah, they were the three of them were really important in Detroit techno, and really probably with. Without them, it might be a to- like techno might be totally different. Um, Meth- Saunderson in particular, I think, would is probably the biggest name out of those ones. Um, next one I want to mention is a totally, totally different one, and that is a. Uh, um, and that is Shannon. So, um, she's most known for, uh, a hit song, Let the Music Play. But even still, she did have, she released, um, she also released the album Do You Want to Get Away. Um, she had a minor hit in Give Me Tonight. Um, and also Do You, Do you Want to Get Away. Um, she was really important in, well, she is a one-hit wonder. She's really important in, like, dance pop, dance pop and, like, freestyle music. Um, and she's, but yeah, I'm really important there. Um, next one I want to mention is, uh, is Goldie. So, um, he, he's a British musician, um, especially important in the British, uh, jungle, hardcore break, breakbeat, um, drum and bass, um, electronic scenes over there. Um, he really was a pioneering musician in the UK jungle scene um which uh well while it didn't really have a massive success a ton of crossover into the US um it was it's a big genre in raves in the UK and Goldie is well He became well known in the nineties at starting in the nineties as an electronic musician. Um next one I want to mention is uh so there are a couple legendary house producers. The first one is uh the late great Frankie Knuckles. Um there's a case to be made he's one of the best one of the best DJs of all time, especially in house music. Um, he is called the godfather of house music. Um, was really important in the development of the genre. Um, and another one related to that one is, uh, is, uh, Larry Hurd. So, um, Larry Hurd was another one that was more in Chicago, or, he was more in Chicago, 
uh, both with Chicago House, but he in particular was more Chicago House. Um, he uh, released uh, the song Can You Feel It in the 80s, which is, was really influential in uh, dance music as a whole. Um, then another house one actually while we're at it is uh, Marshall Jefferson. Um, he... He was also really big in uh, Chicago house music um, and really wound up being, probably was more of an underrated one, but uh, he, uh, but he did have, but he did have a bigger following in the UK. Um, now we're going to go over to another one. Um... That is, uh, we'll go back to techno a little bit, and one that's really important in second wave techno, and that, especially second wave Detroit techno, and that is Carl Craig. Um, he's a pioneer in techno, really important in, uh, the 80s and 90s, was also really good with, like, ambient techno as a whole. Um, he, uh, and really, he was able to incorporate a lot of genres into his music. Um, some more mainstream ones and some, like, more experimental ones. And I think that really has impacted his uh, legacy in a good way um, and made him really well regarded. Um, next one I want to mention is DJ Pierre. Um, so he was a uh, house... Uh, producer and DJ um in particular he was really important in the development of Acid House um which uh well it wasn't necessarily a ma it's not necessarily a massive genre it was ended up being big in the UK um next one I want to mention is a more as a trip hop musician, uh, tricky, um, big in the UK, like probably if I could think of a pioneer for trip hop, it might be tricky. Um, he is one heck of a musician. He had a lot of success in the UK, not as much in the U S but trip hop hasn't had as much success in the U S and the UK. Um, but in particular, he was, uh, able to incorporate multiple genres and, um, was uh and really was just uh just making dark layered music um and the last one is a little bit hip hop which is why I want to do which is why I saved this one for last but a little bit grime also and also a little bit garage and that was Dizzy Rascal so his debut album Boy in the Corner um ended up being massive critical critical success um also found some commercial success being especially being he is probably the one of the few and one of the rare grime artists that had some commercial success in the u.s um but then showtime also continued his success um a math and maths and english also had some success tongue-in-cheek had some uh had commercial su critical success um 
really he is I there's a case we made that he's the most important grime musician ever and made and that even just from Boy in the Corner because it was such an important album. Um, before we get into hip hop, I do just want to mention one other artist who I don't who is I don't know exactly what to pit, what exactly to consider this genre his genre and that's Gil Scott Heron it feels safe to consider him like spoken word poet but he incorporates soul jazz funk R&B a lot of genres um, he was pre-rap really important um, performer um, probably most known song is uh, This Revolution Will Not Be Televised um because of his like aggressive approach especially he became a almost like a pre-rap artist um so now we're gonna go on to hip-hop and rap and then we're gonna go on to rock um so a bunch of rappers i wanted to get to i cut it down a bunch um so the first one i'll mention is sugar hill gang main reason I wanted to mention them is because uh, they had Rapper's Delight, which was the first top 40 hit in th- of a hip-hop song. Next one is Curtis Blow. Main reason I wanted to mention him was because uh, he was one of the first hip-hop artists to be signed to a major record label. And his song, The Benz, ended up being the first hip-hop song to hit gold. Um, next one I wanted to mention is... Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, mainly because their song "The Message" was really influential in bringing uh the um bringing this idea of hip hop, which um talked about social commentary, which um really ended up uh being influential after that. But at that time, it that wasn't a common thing. Um, next one I want to mention is Arrested Development. So they mainly because when they won Best New Artist of the Grammy, they were the first hip hop group to win uh win one of the big four awards. Well MC Hammer might have been the first one nominated for them. Arrested Development or actually no. Wasn't it was Tone Lock, I think that was the first one actually, my bad. Um Tone Lock and Anna Cherry, I think were the first two. Um but yeah, Arrested Development ended up being nominated and uh ended up being ended up winning best new artist um next one i mentioned is a tribe called quest mainly because i love their music um they they're an alternative hip-hop group that uh were able to incorporate a bunch of different genres into their music um they were able to incorporate rap music in particular in their music which i thought was really cool um Their, in particular, I think their last album, We Got It From Here, Thank You For Your Service, was an absolute masterpiece. Um, and uh, the track, Way The People, that is a great song. Um, next one I want to mention is uh, Big Daddy Kang. So, um, he 
is considered like the most influential and skilled hip hop or and rapper of all time. Um, he really is a. He was kind of like in between like the golden age of the golden age of hip hop, and then um. And like uh, it was kind of like. He was kind of like in the late eighties, early nineties, as hip hop was shifting away from uh, the from uh the um old school hip hop, um. But he could he could rap. He and I mean he still performs, so he can still rap. But yeah, he's he often is considered one of the best rappers of all time. Um, really, his only really popular song was very special which was um a version of very special which hit uh which um wound up being his only top 100 hit but he had some albums that ended up being successful too um next one i want to mention i want to mention this group really quickly they are often considered a one-hit wonder but Digital Underground. So they're most known for the Humpty Dance. They also have Kiss You Back, but still. The main reason I wanted to mention them was because of how well regarded they are of a live band, and which I've seen some publications that even have them as one of the top 100. Um, excuse me, one of the top 100 live bands of all time. Um, next one I mention is um, De La Soul. So... They were, um, so what they were, they started in like the eight, late 80s, early 90s, and their album, Three Feet High and Rising, might have been the first alternative hip-hop album of all time, and also their, it also incorporated a lot of psychedelic music in there, and they were also able to, after that album, um, started incorporating jazz music into their album uh into that music and uh also they really did become known for both in addition to like the evolution of their styles quirky lyrics and weird sampling that wasn't as common um next one i want to mention is uh eric b and Rakim. Um, so in the late 80s, um, Eric B. and Rakim were um, late uh, into the early 90s even became one of the genre's like elite rapper-producer duo. Um, particularly a song I ain't no joke. I, that song's amazing. Um, and I would go as far as saying that um, Rakim might be one of the best rappers of all time. And I am i don't mean like most popular rapper or anything like that. I mean most skilled rappers. I would argue that Rakim might be, might be the most skilled rapper of all time. Um, so the last rapper I want to mention is mainly... So it's Dougie Fresh. The main reason I want to mention him is because 
he was one of the first artists to be, to bring beatboxing to popularity and make and what he was able to do with beatboxing really make it well known. Um, I also do have three hip hop producers I want to mention: DJ Premier. Um, there's a case to be made that he is the greatest the greatest hip hop producer of all time. Um, a lot of publications have named him the greatest producer of all time. Um, really, the only... I mean, really, it's probably between him and Dr. Dre. Um, he was a phenomenal producer, though. Next one I mentioned is Jay Dilla. Um, he was an excellent producer, and he was really... After releasing Donuts, he was making it into his prime. And then... He died at the age of the age of only he was only thirty six when he died. Um, at the I'm sorry, at the age of thirty two rather it was two thousand and six. Um, he was really important in like underground hip hop, um, and was great at uh and was an excellent producer. Um, in particular, his final album of his lifetime, Donuts, absolutely critically acclaimed. Uh, the last one I want to mention is Prince Paul. And the main reason I want to mention him is because of his second album that he released, A Prince Among Thieves. I, I love that album. Honestly, I would... I think it's one of uh, the... I think it's one of the best hip-hop albums of all time. And I just wanted to mention that one. Um, so now we go on to rock music. First one I'll mention is Tracy Chapman. I would go as far as saying she's the most underrated, one of the most underrated musicians of all time. Um, really talented musician. Um, she, uh, excellent songwriter. I would consider her, for my big three for female songwriters, I would list, I would say Carol King is the best one, cream of the crop, but then I would say her... Carol King and um excuse me so Tracy Chapman, Carol King and Kate Bush would be my big three for that one and all three of them are excellent songwriters um but Tracy Chapman excellent songwriter, really underrated musician also um next one I want to mention is uh Clarence Clemens he was the saxophonist of the E Street Band, along with uh, Bruce Springsteen. He was an excellent saxophonist. Um, and really, a, after he passed, basically anyone in everyone in music was uh, what did like just just played tributes to him after he passed it seemed like um but he really was an excellent an excellent saxophonist as well um another legendary rock saxophonist was Lee Allen so um there's a case to be made that he but there was there's a case to be made that he's one of the best that he's one of the best or the best saxophonist in rock um he 
basically was like name a rock band and there was a good chance that he performed with it he performed a, a lot of little richards hits he performed with Huey Piano Smith he performed with the Rolling Stones some he performed with Dr. John performed with T-Bone Walker uh, Big Joe Turner um, the Blasters um, several other excuse me several other groups um, there have and um, Phil Alvin who was a bandmate of his when he was with the Blasters called him one of the most important instrumentalists in rock and roll even um, so the next one I'll mention, I, I really didn't know what, where to put him, what genre to put him, because he performed, so Tony McAlpine, he performed jazz music and like jazz fusion, but then he also performed metal music. So, but what I will say is that he was, he is an excellent guitarist he can also play keyboard and piano um but in particular his uh solo guitar playing um was really ex excellent um in with neoclassical metal and he's been in all sorts of groups like he's a uh, and performed with all sorts of artists. He's performed with Steve Vai, um, performed with Cab, Planet X, Vinnie Moore, um, all sorts of art, Ring of Fire, all sorts of big name artists in the genre. The so I have two left. I know this has been a long one, but we're almost we're at the home stretch. Thank you for staying with me. Um, two I have left are Living Color and Bad Brains. So I saved those two for last because they do have a special place in my heart. Um, so, Living Color, um, I, they're really influential in, uh, in being a rare metal, alternative metal, funk metal group that was made, made up of black musicians. Um... And, um, they, they really are an, uh, excuse me, they really are an excellent band. Um, they're probably known, most best known, at this point they're best known for their song Cult of Personality. But they also had some other songs that were big. Like including Glamour Boys, Open Letter, um, Lovers, Egly Head, Type, um, Leave It Alone, um, then uh, Pride, which I know, like Cult of Personality, ended up being like this big song because they, uh, because of calling all these political figures Cult of Personality, but Pride also ended up being this um um this uh I don't know if it was necessarily controversial but ended up being this uh 
like had a bold statement in there because they had the line in the chorus um history is a lie that they teach you in school a fraudulent view from the golden rule a peaceful land that was born civilized was robbed of its riches its freedom its pride so i mean but in in all seriousness though i mean that was i heard that line i'm like that is brilliant um their comeback hasn't asked they broke up at after their third album in 1993 their comeback hasn't been as commercially successful however they did release the chair in the doorway which was i, I loved that album um, i would highly recommend behind the sun from that one um but i really do like them and the last one is bad brains so um bad brains is um they were so they might not be the best hardcore punk band of all time they're one of them for sure i would say i mean because you can make the case with groups like minor threat black flag um even Miniman or husker do or dead kennedys but um i would say though that bad brains is to hardcore punk what the clash is to punk music and that's because of uh the various styles of music that they were also able to incorporate in the genre so like for instance you have in their debut album it also incorporated reggae music there's uh same thing for their second album i against i wound up incorporating like alternative metal music and also incorporated soul and funk music um quickness that wound up being even close to alternative or crossover thrash so um so overall i would say that they are they're really influential they even at one point got nominated for the rock and roll hall of fame which is wild considering that they're a hardcore punk group um overall one of the best punk groups of all time one of the best hardcore punk groups of all time for sure um but they do pull the special place in my heart as a result of that so that's it for today thank you guys so much for listening sorry i wound up being such a long pot episode i was hoping to be a little bit shorter um but uh make sure you like the facebook page check out um at groupie and harmony check out the facebook page as well check out the blog feeling groupie check out uh the um um the other blog um is blog trademarked yet and i'll talk to you guys soon bye